Welcome once again to the Soccer OG. That's me, Max Predos. Today, episode six. A reminder to please subscribe, leave me a rating or a review. It will help me grow my audience. Big show, big week in the world of soccer. A lot happening. El Clasico in Spain. Things heating up in a big way in some of the top European leagues. But all over the globe, a lot happening. And this is the place where we discuss it. Coming up in the business end, I'll have another OG, the one and the only Alexi Lalas. We will hook horns in that business end. We will discuss what all the success is due to for Major League Soccer clubs in the opening week of the CONCACAF Champions League. And if that sensation will have some staying power. What is Daryl DK worth? The Orlando City loanee in the English Championship scored another goal. If he was from continental Europe, the way he's playing, you figured he'd be worth at least $20 million. He's American, he's young, but how much should Premier League teams pay for his services? We will also take a closer look at what is happening in the Champions League, provide our preview of what happens in the quarterfinals second legs. In the stoppage time segment, I will report to you something so terrifying, so sinister, it may turn you off from football altogether. Well, what's happening in this latest development in VAR in the English Premier League is going to frighten an audience away, and it is fundamentally changing the sport. I will tell you why it's a huge problem, and we need to squash it out now. Celebrate Soccer OG. Subscribe. We'll get it all started right now. We are back here on the Soccer OG. I hope you had a great weekend. I certainly did. I had a birthday, but I kept it under my hat for obvious reasons. Those obvious reasons age, but don't let the age define you. I feel good. I feel like the best years are ahead. <laughs> maybe not the best years, but some good ones are still ahead. And maybe if this Soccer OG thing hits off, and thank you for the great feedback. We have an incredible guest coming up, Alexi Lalas. I promise to you that I'm going to get some people and hold them to task in the business end. It's going to be, it's not an interview. It is a conversation and we're going to talk it out and go point, counterpoint and let you decide what is the important stuff. I think most is the important stuff. Crazy weekend, disregard that. Great weekend in the world of football. We had a Clasico and that was far from being the best game. Real Madrid, it was a strange affair. We'll talk a little bit with Alexi. The, uh, I don't know if Real Madrid was all that impressive, but they're never that impressive and they keep churning out results, which makes them a very dangerous team. I'll say the younger players are playing better. Barcelona, Lionel Messi, a non-factor in an ugly game because of the weather. Uh, but what it has done, and I'll talk about what's going to happen here, is it's developed an, a race for the ages in Spain and you have Atletico Madrid which dropped points again and Atletico Madrid has been dropping points for four weeks yet they're still in first place in the Premier League pardon me the La Liga which shows you how big of a start they had now the margin for error is gone they'll get Barcelona in a couple weeks the it's Atletico 67 points Real Madrid 66 remember Atletico Madrid conceded points to Real Madrid really late and Barcelona at 65 two points separating the top three I think it's it could be massive if Barcelona win La Liga because it gives Messi the trophy. If if without they could or they will end the season without a trophy, what does that do to affect his future there? 
I would t- I tend to think his decisions made he wants to stay and moving him because the amount of money will be difficult. But I would stand still to the fact that the best days at Barcelona are probably behind him. The second best days are behind him. What happens in the future if Barcelona gets better, how much of it will include him? Because at some point, you've got to build your team around Messi. But when these young players come in, you've got to start building it a different way. That's what happens. You get old. So maybe not winning La Liga will stimulate that. We've got a great race in France. Lille win again. They're three points up on PSG. Monaco's just four points back. We've never had a good race in France in forever. So soak it all in. Lille with a great North American flavor with Jonathan David, their striker. Timothy Weah coming off and playing some important minutes. So that's a compelling story, certainly, for all of us. Germany, Bayern Munich sputtering. They lost to PSG 3-2. Then they tied Union Berlin. And the situation for Bayern is they're just being decimated with injuries. COVID, Serge Gnabry gone. Robert Lewandowski's injured. We'll talk about this with Alexi. We'll give you our Champions League picks. Most people feel Bayern Munich get out of here, but at some point it is an injury too much and they might be there. So other guys will have to step up. They've been stepping up. Uh, Thomas Mueller has been doing that in recent years. Some of the younger guys. So we'll, we'll, we'll break down that Bayern Munich squad here as well. So... We don't have a great race at the Premier League, but it got a little bit closer. Manchester City losing to Leeds. Manchester United victorious. We'll talk about, in my closing segment, stoppage time, something that happened in that Manchester United result, which really has me worried about how the game's going to look in England and maybe some other places with regards to VAR. Still, Manchester United were dealt a bad hand. They bounced back, scored three goals. They looked beautiful. They could have scored more. Beating Tottenham Hotspur at their place. I would be very excited if I was a Manchester United fan. I've been saying that time and time again. The future looks really bright and they're getting good results and they're beating people up, quite frankly. Still have a shot at the Europa League title, so I think they finish a clear second and I think they uh, they possibly win a European trophy. Not too shabby. I did want to tell you a funny story I heard and we're going to get into uh, the business end here. Sorry, funny. I've been choosing words poorly today. Not funny. Not funny. Bizarre. A game in the Colombian First Division between Rio Negro Aguila and Boyaca Chico FC. Colombia, as we've talked about, South America dealing with all sorts of COVID. And it is complicating everything that happens from this point forward for the foreseeable future. Nobody wants to deal with Brazil because they have a new strain of the virus. Nobody wants to take flights from Brazil. They have the Copa Libertadores. But Colombia is one of the countries that said, we don't want flights from Brazil. They're co-hosting the Copa America in two and a half months. We don't want any flights to Brazil. So what happens with Rio Negro Aguila, which had seven injured players already, they get a breakout of Corona. 16 players get the virus. So that's 23 players out. That left them with seven available players. Keep in mind, this is a first division game in Colombia. Not exactly a backwater when it comes to football. Big names, big clubs in that league. Atletico Nacional, Deportivo Tolima. The list goes on and all the great talents come. So this is a first division team. Rio Negro didn't want to play the game. They protested, please move it. None of these leagues are in the business of postponing anything anymore. They're like, you're playing or you forfeit. 
we don't have any window to put these games. So Rio Negro had to go on with seven players. Did I mention two of them were goalkeepers? And your initial thought is, why don't they just put them both in goal to prevent goals? But you can't, I don't think you can do that, but you obviously cannot. So one of them played central defense. So it was 11 Boyaca Chico players versus seven Rio Negro Aguila. I wish I didn't see it. I'm just reading about this, but I'm passing it on to you because it is a very peculiar story. Anyhow, the game was tied through 57 minutes. No score. After all of this, Rio Negro Aguila was on their way to getting a point. 33 minutes away, then the goal came. And another goal came, and another. And it was three zip. Then a Rio Negro Aguila player got injured, couldn't return. They were down to six, and six is the limit. You can't play with six. So they had to relinquish forfeit. I don't know what the right terminology, but this is the times we live in. I wish it was a little different, but it is what it is. Much more coming up. Time for the business end. Please subscribe to the Soccer OG podcast. I will promise to give you my very best in soccer content. We need each other. We'll be right back. And we are back here on the Soccer OG and joining me in the business end. And uh, I'm very excited about being in this forum with you, Alexi. And I, I don't want you to hold back. Don't be nice to me. Let's bring it. If I say something completely erroneous, let me have it. If if you say something <laughs> wrong, I, mean, I, I listen to you. I, I listen to the, this show. I listen to any show that you put out because that's the amount of uh, respect that I have for you for giving me an interesting and entertaining type of product on a consistent basis doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with any of it. That's is that I always thought this was the gist of it and you're great at it and you uh you take you take stands that generally some would say contrarian which i i wouldn't say that whatsoever but you take stands where it is look i'm i'm standing firm here and this is how i feel and you get those conversations going and when i see you on tv that go that's the good stuff that's what they do in mexico with these football they began shows these guys are yelling at each other who should play left back for Pachuca? I mean, who cares? But it's you you actually listen, <laughs> you listen to it because they're so you know passionate about it. And they it's I love those all conversations. Well, I mean, you know, the interesting things, Max, is you know, and I've I've followed you for so long. Um, and you know, I've I've in a certain way and sense, you know, looked to you for a lot of different things. And you've done so many things. Uh, and you know, to see your 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 pathway and you know, this incredible journey that you have had, and you in particular, because I'm always I'm always interested in that balance, uh, you know, in our in our sport where we have you know, hosts or play by play and something like that. And what the tradition says that you are supposed to do and what tradition dictates and how you're supposed to go about it. But I'm look, whether it's you or anybody else, everybody is human that is working. I can confirm that most of us, you know, and they, we all have opinions and I want to make sure that they are out there. And I know some people feel at times constricted as to, oh, I can't possibly give my opinion here. I think it, I think it makes the sport more interesting. As I said, I don't have to uh, agree with it. You hope that it's done in a respectful and civil way, but you also want it to be done in a, you know, a passionate uh, and yes, at times th theatrical way. We are entertainers, we are performers, and there's no there's no harm in saying that we are in the entertainment industry. And what we say, um, you know, how we say something is as important as what we say. And I enjoy that performance aspect of what we do. And I know you do too. But I know also that as you've moved through this, trying to balance all of that is not always easy. 
This is a very interesting topic. So I'm going to do a little curveball here and okay. let's talk about this a little bit. I don't think I properly introduced you, but everyone knows who Alexi Lalas is. You're the one guy when we go to games that everyone wants your autograph. They hate your guts and they go, can I have your autograph or a photo <laughs> with you? I think it's amazing. I go, that's the power. That's why uh, it's amazing and singular in, in our industry. So I've been at it a long time. You have been, uh, you've done it as a long time as a player, then as an executive, then here as uh, a TV personality analyst. And, you know, it was, it was a time where it was very few voices and just me personally, I want to get your thoughts on it. You waited for this thing to blow up. Everyone said soccer was going to be this next big thing. And the growth is there, but that explosion never quite happened. You had that, th what happened in 94, you had it after world cups and then it, it simmered. And I've looked at the the media and it's funny because uh, when I, I'm on Twitter and someone, and <laughs> I'm on Twitter and someone, something happens. Christian Pulisic scores a hat trick and then everyone tweets a similar post. And I go, what do the people think from us out on the outside? But it's in the masses. It's like 30, 40 people where it used to be five or six. And there's some really good young people coming in here and inheriting the space. And then of course, Alexi comes in with your, your tweet. Oh, what's bothering everyone? <laughs> Just lay it in. But it's a, it's, I'm still waiting. I think there's still going to be a huge explosion. I think we're heading for these next three years with a world cup in 2022, a world cup in North America in 2026 and keen to see where it is. People like us, they're going to want to keep us around because we have that equity building of covering it for so long. But how does this, how does this business move? There's, it's still sexy. See what CBS is doing and mm -hmm. so many big networks. I think Amazon, everyone feels are going to get into it as well. How does this thing go? It has to. It has to grow in a certain way, but in, in, in which directions in particular? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't, I, I'm not able to see around the corner any more than you or anybody else can. However, I mean, I think you join me in being pretty excited and bullish about where we're going. Now, the OGs to use, to use your, uh, you are, your you are one of them. Well, okay. But that's in, in a sense, that's good. Cause it gives you perspective. Uh, it certainly gives you experience uh, and, and maybe it gives you some credibility along there, but you know, there's a whole other generation that's coming along and they can pry it from my cold, dead, redhead in hands. Okay. I mean, they're going to, they're going to come along and bring it. That's a good thing though, Max, because as, as you mentioned, you know, for so long, it was so underground and there were so was. few of us. And, and look, look at the, uh, you know, the evolution of it, right? So back in the, in the eighties and nineties, there were, you know, what fanzines and that kind of stuff. Right. Soccer America, by the way, happy 50th anniversary to soccer America. We used to get that every single, uh, you You'd know, wait for it, month huh? or whatever, and, and look through it. And that was the Bible, right? And then, you know, you had big soccer and the boards and all that kind of stuff. And then it kind of came a little bit more above ground and the whole social media age came about. And now everybody's got a podcast, but but it's still not necessarily that traditional day in and day out debate and discussion and argument that we have with other sports. And so we've had to find non-traditional ways to do it. But to your point, that's that's part of what sports is. And we don't have enough of those platforms out there. So what, whether it's anything that you're doing, regardless of how old we may or may or not being, B, there's also a younger generation that recognizes that there are ways to have a platform very easy, much more easy than, than back in our day, and to actually have a microphone and you know building up an audience, but at least talking about these things and getting reps and doing all the things that, uh, that you need to do in order to get better at this. I, 
reps are hard to come by and I certainly respect that. But one, one thing you said, I would like us to do, I'd like us to be soccer. Speaking of the soccer media, the soccer community, I'd like to have our very individual style to us, but I would love us to be in the bloodstream of all American sports, which we never quite did. And I know what at ESPN and Taylor Twelman and yourself, we tried, it just never got in there, but I'm confident it can get in there and doing things maybe very similar ways that we see presented on the traditional airwaves at Fox, at ESPN, at ABC, uh, at NBC, and it 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 doesn't it doesn't make a, a sound or like a, a big spike somewhere when you start talking about soccer because it's so different than everything else. I think the U.S. squad, and we'll talk about them here, will play a big role because the next time they get a chance to grab the American public, I think they got to hang on mm-hmm. and not let go and just say, "No, you're here for it. Stay in here." But that results, uh, exposure, all that comes into play. That's not just the player's job. That's all of ours. But I think we all have to kind of grab on at that moment. Well, one more, one more thing, and I think you mentioned it, and, and you've seen it. We've all seen – well, those of us that have been around have seen it, that, that evolution from a broadcast perspective. You were there. I, were, I was there back at ESPN when we really made an effort to stop dumbing it down, all right? We slowed the bus down a little bit because we want to bring people into the tent. I get, I, I get all that, but we weren't going to – you know, explain what a throw-in was or anything like that. And we wanted to do it with a little bit more traditional type of way. But as we've also seen, even within the soccer community, you know, different, uh, you know, different outlets do it differently. You know, we at Fox do things very differently than ESPN and CBS and stuff like that. And that's okay. I I don't ever want to apologize for doing it with, uh, with, in an American way, if you will. All right. And I actually, I actually like that. I think we can actually create something really, really unique and different than the way everybody else has done. And I get under, I understand why, you know, that, that, that has been done at times, but I think we can create something really interesting with this incredible mix uh, and this incredible diversity that we have. That's going to be reflected in the way that we go about doing everything from playing the game to actually broadcasting the game. And I think it'll, I think it'll produce some really uh, interesting things and there won't be one specific way to do it. I guess there will be in an American way, but that American way will encompass so many different ways. And I think that we're, we're saying similar things. The, if how we portray things in American way doesn't deviate from all the other sports in some way, shape or form, and it feels comfortable. And, yep. and we'll certainly get that. We have a lot of help, certainly the way we cover because it, it's the world's game. I will tell you this funny story about how I felt I, I took a step back. So the news with the U.S. men not qualifying for the Olympics and some friends of mine, some anchors at ESPN and others were on a text thread. And after that goes, what the heck, man? Why are we, why are we so terrible? What I go, I go, what am I? No, we're doing well. We just didn't qualify for the Olympics. I go, what did, and they're saying, Polisic and this guy, you're telling me. And I go, no, they weren't there. And then the conversation went nowhere. And I'm like, we have a lot of work to still do, but this is our own fault. Cause it's so, it's so complicated. It is. I mean, that was the headline, Max, right? That was the head, the headline. I can't tell you how many headlines I saw that the U.S. men's national team doesn't qualify for the Olympics. Well, that's not really the case, but nobody knows about that. It's just the men's team that represented the United States in that moment failed. And you know, as well as I do, that plenty of people are looking for ammunition to, you know, uh, you know, to dump on American soccer. And this was just another example, regardless of what the realities uh, were when it comes to it. And look, don't get me wrong. It was a failure. 
And it made me angry and it made me sad because of that wasted opportunity and what could have been. And certainly some of the players that were that we will talk about and, you know, mention Christian Pulisic. I mean, this team could have been could have been incredible. But, you know, there's realities to who could be released and who couldn't be released. But, you know, if somebody's just doing a news uh, show, they're not going to get into all of that. I'll get into the, uh, you know, the, the complexities and all the little news show when it comes to something <laughs> like that. Alexi, if, if U.S. soccer came out and they would never say this. But if U.S. soccer, based on the players that they sent to qualify for the Olympics, said, look, we and it would sound like sore losers, obviously, at this point, look, be qualifying for the Olympics is not that big of a deal for us. We're focusing on the World Cup. We're focused on this. that. But, you know, that's why. Would How would that be received? I, I would be I'd find it refreshing. I don't think we'd ever hear it. But I'd be like, all right, let's get to the World Cup. I guess it would just put more pressure on doing well at the World Cup. But come on, Max, we're 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 still America. And, I you know, know, you know, you grow up with the Olympics, what it is. And I know for a soccer player, it's the World Cup. I get it. But, you know, listen, the Olympics and look, don't downplay how the Olympics can be in, important. You know, my my generation in 92, that core of players that uh, represented the team in Barcelona. And I know things have changed, but still there was a real group that matriculated up to the full national team. And a couple of years later was starring on the national team at the World Cup in 1994. So I think it can be used. And I, ha I do think that previous groups and previous generations have wasted that opportunity over the last couple of cycles to do that. I mean, look, this is. This is the biggest soccer tournament, okay, that the U.S. men's team can qualify second to the World Cup. And yeah, I just in second to the, the, the World Cup, but that's still, it's a global phenomenon. It's a great platform for the individual players and for the, uh, the men's team. Women's team, we know, you know, they continue to be the juggernaut that they are. And by the way, there's always that compare and contrast in that competition. And right now, again, the men in the eyes of a lot of people failed. And this summer, it's going to be all about the women at the uh, at the Olympics because, you know, they yeah. continue to win and do what is needed to do to get to these types of platforms. The women's Olympic tournament's huge, but they've made it down. With credit to the U.S. women's team, a big part where people get excited. The U.S. men, they need shine. I think they'll get it. But again, it's perception for for right or wrong, the way people view them, it's a bit all out of whack, but hopefully they'll have their moment to shine. Let's talk about a positive story. I couldn't believe this. You were covering it with Fox because I feel like I'm always running to the TV when the CONCACAF Champions League, and I have my excuses in my pocket. Oh, well, the season doesn't, and it's, it's, they're all valid. They're all valid excuses. And I go there and I, I vaguely hope for the best, but I'm really preparing for a huge punch in my stomach. And you always get it. You'll get an MLS team maybe facing uh, a good Mexican club and they start there in the first leg and they're down four one and it's over. It's not even going to the second leg. So I've seen two good signs three seasons ago or two seasons ago when Toronto FC had this really difficult path and they got to the final. And then I saw it last season, LAFC in a, uh, a tournament that obviously was distorted and rescheduled go through a, murderer's row of Mexican clubs to almost make it. And I thought to myself before this tournament started, if you're, if you're, if you're getting that close and it's two different teams, if you're getting close, it means at some point it's going to happen. So I watched these games and I'm a prisoner of the moment, Alexi. I, you probably are aware of that of all the times I've, I've done stuff together. I am a true prisoner of the moment, but I've never seen anything like this five games. They only one team played a Mexican club in Toronto FC, but they went to Leon and got a result, and they were far from fully loaded, just like everyone else. The season has – this is their first game of the season. Leon's played like 12 games. 
And then everything else, Alawalenze, that's another banana peel for sure. And Atlanta United shorthand to get it. And five teams overall all get no worse than a tie. I think three wins and two ties all on the road. If you get five, and I don't say they're going to get five teams in the quarters. If you get a mass group of teams in the quarterfinals, if they get four, it improves your chances. That and the recent history tells me, I think, <laughs> I think this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. Max, listen, there's one thing I know about you, all right? <laughs> You're a romantic, all right? You are a lover of love, okay? And Very as true. such, you have to accept that you are going to get your heart broken, and yet mm. you still don't lose faith in love. And I feel that you and others, and even myself at times, have said, you know, I've, I've had my heart broken and crushed now so many times that why should I get excited about this at this point if I know in the end when all is said and done and the dust settles that the same thing is going to happen because history has proven that. Um, but if you love love, then it doesn't matter. It's uh, got to be different. This it's got to be different this time. It's got. I mean, look on the surface, this is a hell of a week for MLS. And yes, they got work to do on the return legs, but they have all set themselves up nicely to go through. And so, to your point, yeah, you, you play the numbers games. The more teams that are there, the more possibility. I mean, look, could we be in this incredible rarefied air, and the soccer gods are smiling down us? Where dare I say it? We find a situation where we have at some point. Two MLS teams in the final. I mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how it ultimately will work out. But look, these are these are great results. Yes, we are televising it over in Fox, and the fact that so many people are into it, and it seems to be this, you know, this checkbox that we have to do. We have to check going forward, and we have to plant this flag. We all know it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to change everything overnight. But if you are going to be the league of choice, if you are going to be a destination and one of the best leagues in the world. At some point, you got to be the best league in your region. And we know, unless, at least in the way that it is currently set up, because there have been MLS teams in the past that have won this tournament, but in its current setup, it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened for a long time. And I think, I think we need it as, as MLS fans. I think American soccer needs it. And certainly, I think MLS needs it to just kind of say, all right, we've done that and we can kind of move forward. I want to rephrase what I said. Maybe they don't win it, but I think MLS is going to put themselves in a position once again to maybe get two semifinalists, a semifinalist, two semifinalists and a finalist, and at least get to that that cusp because it feels that, and just for the, the folks that don't know this tournament too, too well, so it is a Champions League for our region, and there are five MLS teams. <laughs> I'm dumbing it down here after I said I wouldn't dumb it down. Okay. But just in case, so... The, the big teams here are the Mexican clubs, and they've had their season going on since late January. And MLS doesn't start till next week. These teams have been practicing. So everything indicates that they're not going to get the result. It, the, it's not a level playing field. So they have to overcompensate in a big way. And when I see the games, and again, it was just one Liga MX team, but the other, Cruz Azul did not fare well. And they've been great in their domestic campaign, but they have work to do in the second leg against a Central American opponent. If this, in addition to some other things, feels that that gap is getting almost paper thin, at least for certain clubs at the top between Liga MX and MLS. And that gap was pretty, say, like three years ago, before the Toronto FC run, it was pretty seismic. It'll never get that big again. It's going to be tight. And you can only imagine with LAFC having a season under their belt, how well they did. And look, last year, there was some some bad results for MLS teams, but it's it it feels like a, a break here something good a good side of the draw gets hot and it happens and 
MLS hasn't really had that good fortune in the past, so why not 2021? The interesting thing is, remember when this started out, when CONCACAF Champions League started out in its current form, um, and there was this kumbaya communal type of thing where it's MLS for insert team here. The interesting thing is with all these teams going through, obviously there's teams that are not there and they're sitting back going, I get it. We want to check that box, but we want to be the ones that plant that flag and be that, that team that got us over the hump. And so it's going to be interesting to see if, and when some of these teams progress, how, how supportive and positive they actually are when it comes to supporting their, uh, their other MLS teams. I'm 100% on board. Whoever wins it, Obviously, where I work, if it was the Galaxy, I would, I'll say this, I wouldn't be saying anything publicly, but inside, if they want it, I think it's so important for the league that I would be content, if that's a good, safe way to put it. But when I'm at, when I'm talking to LAFC folks about, hey, we should, this is great, or I'll tweet someone's like, what are you tweeting that for? I go, I'm just wishing them good luck. I want them to do well. I want Portland and Philadelphia, Atlanta, Columbus, and Toronto to do well. And there is still that you can see that hesitation because everyone wants to be first, but somebody's got to be first. But everybody wants to be first. So (laughs) if it's Bob Bradley or or anybody else, I mean, look, they're all. I was was afraid to bring that up with Bob because I think he wanted to be first. Like, all right, Bob, we'll wait. We get another chance. I would expect nothing less from Bob Bradley or any of these players and coaches. Yeah, you want to be that person. You want the you want the accolades. You want the history. And there's only going to be one first in this in this. Like I said, in this structure of uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And and there's going to be a lot of focus and attention and there'll be all the stories that will be written. Is this the change? Is this the seminal moment that's going to propel uh, MLS on? And look, there is a disparity between the leagues in terms of the spending and all that kind of stuff. And and yes, where they are in their seasons, but all those are excuses. And and by the way, and this is a a much broader and, and bigger topic, as we move towards 2026 and we're hosting the World Cup, the Men's World Cup with our friends from the North in Canada and our friends from the South in Mexico, and that that potential League MX, M, uh, MLS uh, hybrid, uh, you know, mixing, uh, whatever it ends up being, as it becomes more and more of a possible reality, then, you know, the, the playing field is going to have to even up at some point. And if you're doing it right now where we know the playing field isn't even, that's, uh-huh. you know, that's, that's a feather in, uh, in, all the, in all the teams, but certainly if somebody actually wins it too. I'm going to go a little quicker with some other topics, but a yes or no answer to this question. What is bigger right now, MLS winning CONCACAF Champions League or U.S. Youth National Team qualifying for the Olympics? If you got to pick one. Qualify for the Olympics. See, I think it's it's the CCL. Yeah, but you're a moron. (laughs) Listen, if the USA qualify for the Olympics, are you going to be up at 2 a.m. watching those games in Tokyo in front of an empty stadium? I don't know, but no, the world doesn't care. Look, I know the I, world I doesn't care. Like, but yeah, I, I think it's more important to qualify for the Olympics. Yes. I'm a real company man when it comes to MLS, as you could tell, Alexi. Oh, listen, but I, also I, for the I, U.S. I, listen, I am an MLS shill, okay? Everybody knows it. <laughs> We're I, pathetic. You know, I will bend over backwards for the league that I, the league that I love. Uh, it is La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing, you know, uh, warts and all and everything like that. I will defend it uh, till the day that I die. I recognize that it's not perfect and it's not everybody's cup of tea. But, you know, this is a league that I was incredibly proud of being there from the start. It's, it lasted well beyond my career. We didn't even think that was going to happen. And it's certainly uh, headed in a direction where it's going to well, uh, last well beyond my lifetime. And that's that's pretty cool because you don't get to be the start at the start of something too often out there. It's just a massive week in this sport. So there's so much to get to, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you my opinion on something. You give me yours. Okay. Christian Pulisic, two goals for Chelsea. They thumped Crystal Palace. I even, I think a lot of people saw this because he came on 
off the bench for Chelsea against Porto in like a, in a smaller state. He looked great. He was influential. He almost scored a goal and hit the post. He almost, he had a beautiful ball for an assist that should have happened. So instead at that point, I got, he's going to get some playing time and he did it. And to me, he was the best player on the field in that game. And I don't know if that means he's going to start the second leg against Porto. I, I would imagine no, based on how Thomas Tuchel has played it because Christian, they're up two goals and maybe he's, maybe he's the counterattacking guy that they're looking for, but I won't hold my breath, but Christian Pulisic has worked his tail off. We all thought maybe he should go away from Chelsea. I think there was that one substitute appearance where he came on like in the 88th minute and he shrugged. And I was like, that's not a happy guy, but he worked his tail off to where he is in this situation. And I fear Chelsea supporters and Chelsea fans go, this is Thomas Tuchel's grand plan. It worked perfectly and everyone's happy this is happening despite what Thomas Tuchel did he got really fortunate because this could have gone the other way he could have had an unhappy player I don't know what's going on in that locker room but everything you see and you compare it to other players of his ilk if that's happening to them and they're not playing they're going to say I want out Mm -hmm. across the board so Christian Pulisic has done a huge solid for Chelsea who could have a real good run. We'll talk about the Champions League in a bit, but I want this to be on his. He should get credit, but I know for a fact that it's going to say, and Thomas Tuchel's been great with that club, but Pulisic's been started this Tuchel era in the pecking order behind uh, Zayek, which he's better than. Uh, I would say better than Timo Werner, the way he's playing. Timo Werner's had every chance, and probably they're better than Havertz, and who, Mason Mount, and, well, it's a bit of a push. But he was behind all those guys, and now he's, I think, somewhere near the top. But maybe Thomas Tuchel thinks something otherwise. Look, uh, Christian Pulisic, I said it before, I'll say it again. He's too good for Chelsea, okay? Yes. Um, Having said that, he's also fragile, and he has yet to acquire the ability to show any uh, consistency when it comes to his health. And that is a problem. That's a problem for Tuchel. That's a problem for Greg Berhalter. That's a problem for Christian Pulisic going forward because it's always going to be, yeah, but can he do it? And every coach will tell you, I don't want this, this, I don't want up and down. I don't want up and down. I need some consistency that I can count on you. And staying healthy is a skill, something that he has yet to acquire. I hope maybe in the future he does acquire it. But as to his ability and his talent, he does stuff that nobody else can do. He, he I also think, plays the game and thinks about the game in a very different way. And it's almost as if he sometimes has to, to dumb it down playing for Chelsea, if it will. And look, Tuchel's done a, a great job, um, but... That all that can be said, and he still not might not be at the right place. Okay, just because he's a great player doesn't mean that he's a great player and going to be a great player or can be a consistent great player for Chelsea. I would so if he's going to move, I would love to see him in a certain sense fall up and go go a better place where he's going to be better appreciated. I'm not sure he is truly appreciated for how good he is. I think when he was in a bad patch, and I agree with you, the injury and he really is, he does a, he doesn't do a good job of managing it based on how things come up and he left a game early because his hammy was a little bit tender. And I'm like, someone has to work with him on how, how you, you do this. He's really brave. I think you see in the last two games, he goes into tight spaces. He puts his body on the line and he's not, he's not a big guy. And I don't think you change that, but there's something to your point, which he has to adapt to. But I would think that this is a guy that at some point, May and people when when he was in the bad patch, someone said he could go to Bayern. Manchester United would be interested, and people were like, well, he can't get a game at Chelsea. But he's he does things that very few players can do. Yep. 
And I would not be surprised to see him on either of those two clubs. He, he also, what he does is he takes players on. And in the, in the modern game, there's not a lot of players that no, there do isn't. that. I mean, they get the ball. Everybody sits up in their seats because there's a potential for a magic moment to happen because the first, his first thought when he gets the ball is going forward. Okay. I'm going to take some people on. It works. It, it doesn't work. But you know, when, when, when I, when I see him now and you know, the beard and the frustration, we're all reading into all the body language and all that kind of stuff. Look, he's, he's a young kid. He's a multimillionaire. He's got a great future ahead as long as he, uh, as he stays, uh, stays healthy. And I'm excited to see to your point where he ultimately goes, whether it's with Chelsea or not, but I think there'll be a lot of suitors and there rightly should, because he is, he's just an incredible, uh, incredible talent. We're very, very lucky from a U.S. perspective uh, that we, uh, that we have him playing for us. I wonder if we, we're in a weird marketplace and I'm going to talk about Daryl DK next in the marketplace, but we're in a weird marketplace. They bought him for 60 million plus. I don't think anyone's selling for that right now. So I don't know how he does somewhere other than Chelsea, but maybe because your someone goes, we, we don't have a guy like that. We're a big club. We're a little worried about the injuries, but we'll take him and we'll give you this. Here's 75 big ones. That may be a little bit too much. He, he does have <laughs> to figure out a way to differentiate between being hurt and being injured, right? Mm. I mean, and look, the last time I was 100%, I was 10 years old, okay? <laughs> Doesn't, you, you go you play on, hurt a you're lot. never 100%, okay? As, as you go on, and, and, and so I want to make sure that yeah, because I think some of it is 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 up here. And look, he's a he's still a young kid. He's still kind of he's not a young kid, but he's still young and inexperienced. So he's growing into his career, into his life, even into his body to a certain extent. And the player that you are when you're 20 is very different when you're 28. And and if you get to play into your 30s, so we're we're seeing it happen and unfold in front of us. But the talent's undeniable. Daryl DK, mm -hmm. 20 years of age. A couple years ago, he was playing for University of Virginia in the national championship game, and now he's eight goals in 14 games for Barnsley, which are in mid table. I think they're in third now, which means they go to the playoff. And for Barnsley, that would mean, I don't know when the last time Barnsley has been in the premier league, but it's been a long time. He has been the catalyst to getting them there. It all happened when, because of the marketplace, no doubt championship sides, they're in the middle of the push here or trying to get promoted. Look to MLS to bring in players. Swansea, got Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola, And that could not have gone worse. Injuries to both of them. And it shows you that how delicate a situation that is to come over here. He's not American. Brian Rodriguez took a loan with Almeria. He's starting games now, but it took a long time. And I think you've seen these loans for other teams that go in there. And then you have Daryl DK. I think he starts his second game. And then he starts goals and then he scores two goals and then he scores another. You couldn't have asked for a better impact. I'm sure he's a hero at Barnsley, which is in Yorkshire up North. And now there's discussions about what's he worth. He's earmarked for the premier league. He's his physical specimen, but he can score goals in different ways. In Orlando city, I, I believe was reported. They got an offer for 10 million from a premier league club. And they said, no, and a lot of people say, you're crazy, that's $10 million. But that's how they talk to at MLS. They're, you know, Brian Reynolds, I think he went to $6 million. He started for Roma. He didn't look great today. I was watching the game, but he played 75 minutes, which means his intentions are to play him. And if you get a guy like that for $6 million, historically with these markets, that's a great deal. So what is Daryl DK worth? If Barnsley gets promoted, they would have to listen to whatever Orlando says. You don't lose a player when you get promoted when you want to say, that's the big money. And then if these bigger clubs, I would say it has to, they, Orlando saying it's 20 million. I would say it set it at 20 million. 
if he keeps going like this, you there's other guys in the in the championship. I was looking at Josh King and Tammy Abraham was crazy when he was there, and he's worth 45 million. I'm not Daryl DK is no Tammy Abraham yet, but he's not far off of it. So let's do we set it at 20 million with a higher ceiling? Yeah, with a higher. I mean, look, don't be greedy, but be smart. Okay. And so the 10 million, if they're going to play 10, then why wouldn't they pay 12 if he keeps scoring goals? That's the most important thing in our sport putting the ball in the back of the net. That's why you pay the most for the people that actually do it on a consistent basis. And he's already proven it. You know, from an MLS perspective, we're all sitting here going, yeah, he's a, he's, he's a good player. And, and, and from a national team perspective, the reason why we're so excited and gaga about it is because there's such a dearth of talent up top. It's Josie, basically, and, and Jossie Zardes. And then, you know, Josh Sargent may come good, and we're trying everybody else. So it's a rotating cast. And now we see somebody that's, that's scoring goals. And when you score goals in Europe, whether uh, it, it takes on a different dimension, even though it's just the same player. And by the way, this is a college player. How is that possible? All right, we'll get, we, I won't get into college or anything like that. But, you know, here's a, here's a guy that came out of college, was, you know, good last year for, for Orlando and certainly turned heads. And once again, turned heads because we don't have players up top when it comes to the national team. So, hey, this could be the savior. And now he goes over there and it's not necessarily a surprise what he's doing because he's he's talented, but the the money part of it, which is what MLS is in the business of, that's what's really going to be interesting because it's not just where he's playing right now. There might be others either in the championship or certainly from an EPL perspective that might say, hey, I might I might get a goal scorer here and I don't have to pay the 80 and the 90 and the and the hundred right. million dollar type of thing here. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the sky is the limit if you are scoring goals and he continues to score goals, this is great for him. I know it, it can be hard from Orlando to say we might lose somebody that we're counting on to be the, the man up top, but it's also good for them to, you know, to, to prime that pump of being involved in the global transfer market, especially when it comes to a big transfer, which it, it would be. And I think it should be. And yes, your, your 20, your 20 mark, I think is completely fair right now. Because of what he's done at Barnsley. I'm with Alexi Lalas here in the business. And this is usually a back and forth, but I'll ask you a question. Okay. We go, we see Alfonso Davies. I think it was 12 million. It could go up a bit for the white caps. And now Davies is valued 85 million, 90 million. And next Brian Reynolds, six, seven, he's still worth that, but with a high ceiling to go up, uh, Weston McKinney, these other guys that came from MLS clubs, they got them for a song. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. Is, are we are we close to resetting the market for MLS players? Because everyone does come here looking for a good deal. But if you get Alfonso Davies and Daryl DK, whomever else comes down next, and they're going to be there, whether they're American players or if it's Ezekiel Barco, if right. that's a guy who says he's really good this year, let's we have to offer them $20, $25 million. Are we, do we re, If we do reset the market, does it happen soon? And then does that make it? Hey, at the minimum, if you want a player of a certain level that we rate, it's got to come here at, say, 10 million, 12 million. Yeah, we don't want to price ourselves out of the active market. So we once again, we can't be greedy, but and we've seen migrations happen. So, you know, when you know, we've seen either from MLS or from a world perspective, especially down in South America, where one country will get really hot, you know, and and some that are perennially hot, right? You know, Argentina's and the Brazil's and stuff like that. But I think that people are looking to MLS because they know they're going to get quality. They know they're going to get it for a reduced price, not a dirt cheap price. But, you know, certainly when you look at other places, it's a good business. The other thing is the, you know, the relationships that people have, um, you know, when it comes to the American player, they are 
they don't have a lot of problems. Let's be honest. They are they are hungry. They are well trained. They are not going to uh, you know be a problem on or off the field for you. And there's a huge market over here, and every club out there wants to make sure that they are to the extent that you can covering that and finding those diamonds in the rough and maybe using MLS teams to find those diamonds in the rough. MLS has done a fantastic job of finding those diamonds in the rough when with the new academies, I, it could always be better, but it could be a lot worse and it's not. And more and more of these academy players are quickly going from here to unknowns to hot market properties. And so every, everything that that transitions happened is paying off. We hope it goes in that direction. Are you ready for some Champions League chatter? Yeah. This is the this is the, this is the best part of the Champions League, the quarterfinals. All four quarterfinals heading to the second leg are pretty well poised. Real Madrid up 3-1 on Liverpool. Real Madrid haven't I still haven't been that impressed by them, but they make you pay for mistakes as they did in the El Clasico. It's El Clasico. It's not Super Clasico. It's a Super Clasico. I, eh, it's the Clasico. It's not El Trafico. It's definitely it's not El Trafico. There's only one. There's only one. Regardless of what Bob says. <laughs> <laughs> I will I'll, I'll, I will stay silent on that. Uh, so the Real Madrid, um, I think, are probably well, through. Well, hold I think on. Should... Hold on. Why, 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 doesn't, why doesn't Real Madrid get any respect from you? It's always, eh. But, I you just know, have no. I, I, they do. But I just, they, I look at them like, all right. They get the goals. And I think... By not being that impressed, I am impressed, you know, in a way, because yeah, 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 yeah. they're but not, they, maybe they I compare them to the Galacticos. On because they're, they were always in kind of the shadows from a romantic, creative, beautiful soccer thing relative to Barcelona, because they are the, the anti-Barcelona, if you, if, if you look at it. But I mean, just look at the, what they've done in the last five, six years. It's, it should be a surprise to no one that this group gets their act together and makes a run not only in Champions League, but also in, uh, in La Liga and you know, beating Barcelona this weekend. And like you said, sitting pretty right now against uh, Liverpool. They were really bad with transfers. Their transfers weren't hitting. Aiden Hazard, Luka Jovic. To get back to the Daryl DK situation, what did the Real play for Luka Jovic? Like $50 million and they sent yeah. him back to Germany. So that's how that's how flippant these European clubs are with money. So why can't they be that way with American players? <laughs> Anyhow, I think they've gotten better with some of the young players, in particular Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo. These young players, they're starting to develop and play a big role. So I think that was kind of the reason they did it. And that's why they, they beat Barcelona, which the Barcelona result was, it was weird because I felt like Barcelona just didn't play well. And that's Real Madrid's handiwork, right? That's yeah. their handiwork, but they just didn't play well. Messi wasn't a factor. Maybe Plus it wasn't the environment's not great. You know what I mean? Playing, it's not playing great. It was rainy and stuff like that, but, yeah. but you know, missing players. So I, I Real Madrid and Chelsea probably get through and, that's this side of the bracket. So possibly yeah, okay. Real, Real, I got Real Madrid and Chelsea going through. Right? So we agree with Real Madrid and Chelsea. And if Christian Pulisic keeps playing and staying healthy, tr good luck trying to keep him out of that lineup because Tuchel's going to turn to the guys that make a difference, especially against Real Madrid. And maybe Pulisic plays great against Real Madrid. And they say, Zidane says, I must have him. Of course. It's my Zidane. I must have him. $100 million. There is no price. That there is no price. For this Give me the checkbook. We're going to pay. Right, but then we got the other two that are, you know. Let's... <laughs> All right. So I think most people, so we both agree with Real Madrid and Chelsea. Yep. The other half, most folks, because of the Phil Foden 90th minute strike, Man City beats Dortmund 2 1, would probably put Manchester City and I think Bayern still. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that there's anybody that would be surprised 
at if Bayern Munich found a way to come back against PSG. Now, look, they did go to the well um, and it was empty for the first time in a long time because this is how Bayern is kind of played by the seat of their pants and then they find goals. And even though they go down and they've, they've done it, by the way, in the league and at other times, but but it's what makes them fun to watch. It also what's what makes them one of the best teams in the world until that well is dry. And you just kept, you know, when they put on um, uh, Alfonso Davies and, you, you know, uh, when they, when we thought it was changing at that moment, okay, here come the reinforcements, you know, Hansi Flick just got it wrong in the beginning and, but, but it never really materialized ultimately. And, and PSG is a very different type of team in that they have individual players that will make you pay in a way that when you're doing it in league and exposing yourself in the back and playing, you know, you know wild types of spaces behind, you're not going to get dinged. But against PSG, they did. However, I, I, could, I have still no problem saying that Bayern Munich uh, on the, in the return, going to Paris and have no problem you know, getting the two goals that they need and finding a way through ultimately. I, I, I'm all in on PSG, but I remember Pochettino got so practical and careful in the second leg against Barcelona. Granted, they had a bigger aggregate lead, but if he does that at all, they are donezo. And I think that's why I reluctantly have to say Bayern, even though they're not going to have Lewandowski, Serge Gnabry still dealing with COVID, he's not going to be available. But they absorb injuries and that kind of stuff more better than anyone. Mm-hmm. This is a great spot for PSG. You know, I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with PSG because if they get one goal. They should be good. Yeah, they need. Yeah. Uh, they need. If they get two goals, I mean, look, the, the, yeah. you know, Bayern, Bayern needs three. dug themselves look, look a at, hole, but I don't think it's a hole that they can't get out of. So right. I, I, I mean, that's yeah. So I, I'll go with Bayern. You go with PSG. I'll go with PSG, and I know I'm in the minority here. I loved how Dortmund played against Manchester City. I was watching the Dortmund highlights, and they were played Stuttgart, and they beat them. I got to give them credit for getting that result, but they allowed some goals. That were, like this guy passes it on. There's Everyone got sucked in to the left, and there was three Stuttgart players going straight at goal with no one in front of them. And the guy's like, do I pass it to you? Like, no, just shoot it. And he shot it and scored. And I was like, wow, if they do that, they're in big trouble. But they played well. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Dortmund so I can have Holland and Mbappe in the semifinal. I think something crazy is going to happen this Champions League because all season there's not much separating all these clubs. And Man City lose to Leeds. Maybe they're hitting that bad spot again. Mm. You know, the bad patch in April is a no-no. Have your bad patch in February. Don't have it in April. But Man no, City I do think, have them. No. All right. You're going to go Dortmund then? Because I'm going with Man City. I, I think that it's it's too much. A bridge too far for, for Dortmund. And look, they got, to be quite honest, they got bigger bigger things to worry oh, about. Uh, right. Let's be honest. Because if they don't make uh, Champions League next year, uh, that's a big problem for them in terms of Erling Holland. And, you know, he's made it very, very clear that this is the level that he wants to be consistently playing at. Interesting. You know, with England and Germany, you're going to have some crazy teams in the Champions League. we got to get used to that. It's not going to be the same old, same old all the time. Yeah. Same four clubs in England, the same four teams in Germany. It's moving around. We talked about El Clasico, but I, I'll, I'll leave it with this, Alexi, because we, we, we are MLS guys. The season starts this weekend. Great news across the country. We're in California. They're going to have fans at the stadium, and the reports are by June they'll be allowed to have a full house. Not sure they will. This is California, which is generally the most cautious of other states. Baseball came back to Texas. They had a full audience. This is obviously going to be a game changer to see the because the fan culture is as big as any sport, if you ask me. Not just soccer, but here in the United States. It's unique, and the fans, people come to see the Timbers Army and the 3252 and all these groups. 
So that being there is going to be massive. We're, I, my fingers are crossed. This could be a great season. Teams in the middle and near the bottom, like FC Cincinnati, were ambitious more than I've ever seen, dropping big coin on transfers. You know, there's, not, there's only enough room for some teams in the playoffs. I think it could get back to, we need a ruling class. I think we'll get that based on what I'm seeing in the Champions League of those six teams that do it. But, I, you know, the, the group of bad teams, and they're going to be bad teams, I think that list is going to get smaller, and it's going to be mm-hmm. tough to get results. The, the league at some point is going to have to loosen the ties financially because it's going to be all about getting deeper for these teams, which if, if they have those access to having a deeper squad in a, a shortened season, then they'll be able to churn out results much the same way these top Liga MX teams do. But I'm optimistic that those let, the boats will rise, will, the tide will rise all boats. Look, Max, if, if I can find the man or woman that can consistently and accurately uh, and correctly predict Major League Soccer, we'll go to Vegas right now because we will clean up. It is, <laughs> it, it's part of what we love about it, right? The, the parody or the competitive balance, I guess they want us, don't want us to call it, right? Um, and, and it means that this week, as we are getting ready to start the, uh, the season this coming weekend, every fan of an MLS team has it as a possibility that they could win MLS cup. I'm not saying that they're, that they're going to, but there's the possibility and that doesn't exist around the world. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. It has started to change and there has been a separation and you're getting more of the super club type of situation, which is, which is actually good, not just for those teams, but I, I think it's ultimately good for the league and certainly from a broadcast perspective, but you know, to your point, there are stories all over this league, both on and off the field. And whether it's the infrastructure with, you know, new stadiums coming online, Columbus, a, a second soccer specific stadium. I can't believe we're at that point right now. Uh, or, or Austin coming in. And we know when these new teams come in, you were mentioning in LAFC, they immediately created this, you know, this, this atmosphere um, and, you know, this, you know, this incredible environment for people. And it's all unique. It's all relative to the individual market. And from an MLS perspective, well, there's a practical challenge and and problem in that they make a lot of their money from the game day type of revenue. And so getting back to those full stadiums is an important part of the business of MLS, but it's also about, you know, the hearts and minds and those environments that we've created. And you, you know, watching LAFC play in week in and week out in that environment up there, it's something special and every team has their own little unique environment and, and that special part of it. And we we've lost that. We haven't had that for the past, uh, for the past year. And I know I don't want to speak for you, but I, we all want to get that back and we all want to be there because we know how important it is, the passion that comes with it. And, you know, the communal type of aspect of it and the ownership of it. Everybody, this is our team. This is in our city, in our market, and this is our team. And this is how we celebrate it. And not just celebrate soccer and the team, but this is how we celebrate life through the lens of insert your MLS team there. And that's a, that's a pretty cool thing that happens with MLS and with what happens with most soccer out there. And it's good to have there because it's going to, it's part of everyone's regular calendar and they do it. I love how you said LAFC up there, like they were in Canada. You know, you're, <laughs> come on, dude. You're North, you know, anything <laughs> North is. is. North, my friend, this was wonderful and very, it's always good cathartic to talk to you because you're just, a, you're a wonderful man and you're good to talk to sport about and you're the wealth of knowledge. 
I look forward to having a frosty cold one here pretty soon with you. All right. I can't wait. And, and God bless you for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, extolling the virtues. Then we still have some virtues of the OGs out there. All right. I know, you know, I know we're getting older. Uh, I like to think that we're getting better and wiser as we go along. And as I said, there's a lot of youngins that are coming up and, you know, bring it on. The more, the more, the merrier here. But we've been doing this for a long time. We've seen a lot of things on and off the field. And it is, it is personal to us uh, in a good way. And we, as much as anybody, take ownership of it and we defend it, uh, when, it when it deserves to be defended. And, you know, that's a, that's a good thing that I love about you uh, and I love about all of us in this, in this soccer world. So it's great to talk to you, my friend. And we love the next generation, but they got to kiss the ring a little bit. I said Damn it. right there it they is. do. <laughs> <laughs> if they kiss the ring, then I'll give them some really good advice so they don't oh, make yeah. mistakes that, you know, with made. All right. Alexi, we appreciate you. Look forward to doing this again very soon. This is the Soccer OG coming up next. It's stoppage time. podcast time now for stoppage time i call it that because i can stop it any time i would like but again i'm not going to take up too much of your time as i know it's valuable but this is a very serious topic var if you've listened to me here or on my youtube show check that out as well the soccer og youtube show this week i'll be talking about daryl dk I'm not a huge fan of VAR and secretly inside, I wish we could go back to the old way and never have it. I am aware that that's not realistic. The technology is here to stay across the board and I'm willing to get used to it. But we have to make some adjustments, some major adjustments as to how it's implemented because it's going to affect the sport in such a way where and we're talking about the Premier League, I'm talking about the implementation there on how kids grow up playing the sport, on how it's perceived, on how referees officiate and how they may not even be required in games in the future. I'll get to that in a little bit later. So I'm used to the fact that we need VAR. I can live with it. I'm fine. We have several issues. Now, it can't be comprehensive, and it seems to be creeping up towards that where everything is under the microscope, going back several sequences of the play because it may have led to something that affected a VAR decision. I won't get into that, although I have my issues with it. But we have offsides, we have the, the eye in the sky, and the most minuscule piece of a shirt could make someone offside if it's ruled by that by looking through it with a fine-tooth comb. I'm not crazy about that. I think we have to reassess the offside situation and not micromanage it to the inch or whatever it might be. Serious foul play. There's some serious foul, serious the key word is serious foul play and we catch it on VAR, I support it. Penalty area decisions. Was a guy brought down? Is it a penalty? Yes, in the area. Uh, a play that led to a goal scoring opportunity, all in. Goal opportunities, all in. Sign me up. Something happened in the Manchester United game against Spurs. It's not an isolated incident. I have seen it, and I've seen when it happens how the referees are going to look at things, and they have a explicit definition of the rules, and they go, well, it, it is what we said it is. If a guy's hand hits this guy, whether it's intentional or not, 
we're going to call it. And the word intentional is the key. It does not have to be intentional. If you swing around and your hand accidentally hits someone in the face, that will be viewed uh, as a, an offense, whether you meant it or not. And it's hard to imagine what you meant or what you didn't, although I would argue if you look closely enough, it's pretty easy. And everyone knows what it is. So the intentional part we have to adjust. In this game, McTominay was driving through. He swung his arm out. It kind of hit, it did hit Sung Hyun Min in the face. Sung Hyun Min went down. It was a slight hit. Clearly a natural motion. Uh, the referee saw it, didn't think it was going to be a decision. McTominay didn't alter anyway. He was just running. And as you run, your arms come out. Same with the handball. You, you can't. We're penalizing guys for the handball when they have their arms around their back. It's not fair that a defender to block a shot has to keep his hands behind his back. It's not natural. He should be able to move, and if the ball hits his arm, then okay. I got off on a tangent there, so I'll get back. So they would score a goal, Manchester United. They reviewed it, and I thought it shouldn't even been reviewed. The referee walks over, and I could see it in his face. He was sick that he had to reverse this. You could see it. He's like, well, it did hit him in the face. It wasn't intentional, but we have to review it. Goal taken away. Manchester United came back and won that game, thank goodness. There was another episode recently where I kind of blew my top. West Ham was playing Fulham. Thomas Suchek was def- of West Ham was defending it. And he turned around and he accidentally hit Alexander Mitrovic when he lifted his elbow. Clearly an accident. And when I watched it, I go, there's no way they're going to even review this. When I saw them review it, I said, oh boy. It was Mike Dean. The elbow did make contact. Mitrovic went down. And I think Mitrovic actually kind of came in to defend Suchek and said it was an accident. But it doesn't matter. So it was a natural movement. West Ham would appeal it and the red card was dismissed. But it certainly was a very difficult uh, situation to look. So what does this mean? Well, this is the fear. If every contact, intentional or not, is going to be put under the microscope and could be a red card or disallow a goal, what are we going to do? What's going to happen in this sport? We're going to teach kids to not make contact. Soccer is a contact sport. It's one of the toughest sports out there. I've played them all. I played rugby for 15 years. I played some American football. Soccer is as tough as those. You're going out there when the speed is an all-time high. It's terrifying. Not that I have, but I've been seeing it up close. I go, you see these slide tackles come in or these headers come in. You don't want want that heat. It's tough. We take that away from the game. We got a huge problem. It's got to be a contact sport. But if a hand comes out and accidentally hits you, they're going to tell kids, don't lift your hands up. Don't do this. And we will, we will be leading with a contactless sport. I don't want to see a contactless sport. You don't want to see that. It's going to be awful. Don't want it. There's another issue here as well. And I thought about it when I saw the referee looking at the review and he's kind of shaking his head. He, I know he saw what happened and he didn't call it in the flow of the game. We're going to diminish the referees. We're going to get to a point where they may not even be required because everything will be automated with regards to the... Because everything is basically automated now. We are neutering the officials in this sense. How do you think they feel when they have to reverse it and they look bad because of it because they didn't see it? But they would have never called it in the flow of a game. Maybe they're going to be trained to call it. 
but that's always going to be a, a VAR review. You know what I mean? That's not going to be a call that's ever made on the field because it happens fast and it looks innocuous. It's a real problem with the referees. Common sense has to prevail. You have to say it ha the word intentional has to carry weight. It has to be intentional. It is absurd to not have it where intentional is not a part of the determining factors. This is a big problem. I will always watch soccer because it's my profession, but I won't enjoy it as much. And people who are not as invested as much will stop watching when it comes to that. I promise you, it is ugly. I try not to talk about VAR so much, but I thought this was appropriate because of what happened in the Manchester United game. By the way, Manchester United fans, you should be thrilled. Your club is really moving. I know I said that earlier. I just want to reinforce that. Another episode of the Soccer OG is in the books. Thank you for your support. Big show again coming next week. I promise you that, and I can do it right now. Please rate, review, and most of all, subscribe. I will talk to you next week.